Hello again to everyone. Thank God for another opportunity to study and look into His Word. Hope you all have had a, a good week thus far, and I'm thankful for you uh, listening to us, and we hope that through the Word of God we could be a help to you today. We've been studying Elijah, as we say every time, I guess, but in 1 Kings chapter 18, and if you remember last week, we got down to Elijah's prayer. And we covered the first half of that prayer, and uh, we're going to pick up there today. Elijah's praying to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel. He is addressing his prayer to the only God that there is, the only means of answer that there are. Now, the prophets of Baal, their prayer was addressed to Baal. Elijah's prayer is addressed to God. Now, how can you call on somebody whom you've not believed? How can you believe in somebody that you've not heard anything about? See, all of these things are important. And people that don't know God, they can't address their prayer to him. But it's generic. And it's God. It's the man upstairs that it's addressed to. And there's no answer because they're praying to a God that's no God. But Elijah and Jesus addressed their prayer specifically to the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he says, Let it be known this day that you're God and that I'm your servant. Verse 37, this is where we got to. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God. Again, repeating what he said previously in the other verse, Elijah had one desire, and it was that the people present here would realize and recognize who God truly was. He was not looking for his office to be glorified. He was not looking for him to be thought of as a man of great power. He was not looking for great reputation and fame in this, but he was praying unto God that God would prove who he was and that he was the chief authority over all. This was all to the glory of the name of God. And that ought to be the desire of the church today it ought to be that we pray that God would get the glory for all things that's said and done and that all the people might recognize who the Lord is. Now listen to what he says. That thou may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. How are people going to be turned to the Lord? God's going to have to turn them. The nation of Israel is not going to turn to God naturally. They've been left to their own devices for at least the past three years. And have has that turned them to God? Has three and a half years of drought, did that turn them to God? No. After three and a half years of drought at the word of Elijah, still yet they are halted between two opinions. See, it... It's not outward circumstance that brings people to God. It's a work of God through the gospel and the spirit that turns people's hearts to the Lord. Though we could pray for our 
people's lives to hit rock bottom or that they might find a famine. And I'm not saying God can't work like that. We certainly know and recognize that the prodigal son hit rock bottom and then he came to his senses. Well, it's that coming to the senses. That's what we need to see. He was going to fill his belly with the husks of the swine and he had done that if he didn't come to his senses. Now, how did he do that? God turned his heart back to the Father's house. And here, Elijah's saying, turn the people's hearts back to you. Turn their mind back to you. Get this foolishness of Baal out of their heart and cause them to look to you as the only true God. It's an act of God that turns man to him. Jeremiah, I believe, was the prophet that said it. I don't have the scripture wrote down, and I'm not going to look for it right now because it'd take me forever to find it, I'm afraid. But Jeremiah says, Turn us, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Well, when the Lord turns a man, when the Lord does a work, the work will be done. When I turn because of famine, that'll soon be undone. But when I turn because of the conviction and power of the Lord through the gospel and through the Spirit, I shall be turned then. But it's got to be a work of God. I can't do that for you. I can't do that for my people. You can't do that for your people. The pastor can't do that for the church. It's a work of God. It's got to be done. What's, what's the job of the man of God? Preach the word. The Lord will do everything else. Leave it to the Lord. We pray. We seek the Lord. We seek his word. God turns the people. So here, that thou has turned their heart back again. So verse 38, we're going to see the answer of God by fire upon this sacrifice. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. So what, what a work that's done right here. And I realize this is well gone over and no doubt everybody that takes time to listen, has heard this at least one time in their life, seen it for themselves. But the fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice. The bullock is going to be consumed. There's going to be none of that left. The wood that had the water poured on it, it's going to be consumed and there's going to be no wood left. The stones that are there are going to be consumed by this fire there's going to be no stones left. And even the very dust of the ground that's there is going to be consumed. There's going to be no dust left. And the water that was standing in the trench, that water is going to be consumed, and there's going to be none of that left. So what's going to be left? A piece of blackened, parched, burnt earth and an empty trench is all that's left. There is no altar. There's no stones. There's nothing left. But the fire was so hot. That word consumed, it means to eat or devour. A fire so hot that dust, stones, and water was consumed, 
in the midst of it. Now, this is speculation on my part, but I believe it to be good. God done away with that altar. This was going to be a great sacrifice, a great and mighty answer of God from heaven to the prayer that was made here. And God does away with this. There's nothing left. Not even dust to the ground is left here. And perhaps that was to prevent idolatry in the future at this altar. In Judges chapter 8 verse 27. And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his city, even in Oprah. And all Israel went thither a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and his house. So Gideon, mighty man of God, a man that God used, uh, and what a miracle. 300 men slew the army that was as grasshoppers. Midian was slaughtered, and there was so many of them that they couldn't be counted. And it was done by 300 men led by the man Gideon, a man of great faith, a man of great power, and a man that God used to bring great deliverance. But he's going to make an ephod, a linen ephod, and it's going to be put up, and the people are going to come and worship that ephod. Now, Gideon was a man of God, but the making of this was illicit. It wasn't directed by God. And so when the people get in trouble, they're going to come to this ephod of this man and seek after that instead of seeking the God of Israel. Well, this altar, and I know this sounds silly, but it's the way that we are. Here's this altar that's been built, and Elijah's offered, and there's been a great answer. If God were to leave that there, then no doubt next time there was a drought, well, we need to go up to that altar. And the altar's what gets the credit for the work and not God. And instead of seeking the God of Israel, they come to the altar expecting it to be what delivers. Well, that's man today is the same exact way. They think that in tradition and in the acts of the flesh and in this is the way we do things and this has worked in the past, that this is the way we have to continue to do so. And instead of really seeking God and repenting and, and desiring His help, they've got their trust and their hope and a tradition and in what they've always done. Uh, it's not in tradition. God's not going to allow that to happen at this altar. God's going to completely do away with this altar. Now, maybe this sounds silly and far-fetched as well. But think about this, how that God set up uh, the earth and how that rain comes to our land. It's a, taken by... Uh, evaporation out of the lakes, out of the streams, out of the ocean, and the water is drawn up into the sky, into clouds. Those clouds come over land, and the water falls on the land. And it's a continual cycle that this happens. Solomon's seen it in his day and wrote about it in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, that God set up this cycle that the earth would water itself. But that water rises to the heavens through evaporation. Well, now here was a sacrifice with water. 
and the fire of God devoured it and took the water up to heaven with the sacrifice. And the rain that was to come was going to be a product of the sacrifice and the water that was taken up unto God. In Psalm 135, the 135th Psalm, verse number 6. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven, and in earth, and in the seas, and all deep places. He causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings for the rain. He bringeth the wind out of his treasuries. So God takes the water out of the sea up to heaven, and God allows that water that's up in heaven to now fall to the earth and water the earth. Well, here, now there had been no rain for three and a half years. There had been no uh, water to the earth. And Elijah is going to offer this sacrifice. And you've got to think this now. This right here, this event on the mountain with all the people and with the prophets of Baal, this is what God was leading them to from the very beginning of the drought. This is what God had in mind. And it was going to be this sacrifice, this work of God, this uh, a burnt offering acceptable unto God and the water that's absorbed up, that's going to be what produces the rain that waters Israel. It's acceptable, pleasing, and it's what produces the work of God in the people. So this fire, this miraculous fire, this miraculous power that God presented here in the devouring of the dust and of the stones and of the water and of the sacrifice and the wood. This was, and you talk about a fire devouring wood and dust. What a fire. What, what it must have been like to have been present there and to feel the heat of the fire that fell from heaven here. What a sight that this was. Unbelievable sight to behold and the witness. Now what is the verdict of the people here? They have watched Baal's prophets pray from morning till the time of the evening sacrifice. They've seen them holler. They've seen them shout. They've seen them jump up and down. They've seen them sweat. They've seen them cut themselves and bleed. They saw absolutely no answer. Then they watched Elijah. They watched him closely as he repaired the altar as he laid everything in order. They heard him audibly as he prayed, and after a verse and a half of prayer, fire falls in this manner that they can feel the heat of and devours absolutely everything that's there, even the dust and stones. The people, they said it twice, they fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord, he is the God, the Lord, he is the God. Is there any other verdict that could be reached from what they've witnessed? I mean, if you put yourself here, if you're an atheist, whatever you could be, and you put yourself in their shoes and you see this, how could you come to any other verdict? There's not another verdict that could be reached. In Judges chapter 13, verse number 19, you read this. So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon a rock. 
and the, unto the Lord, and the angel did wondrously. And Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came to pass, when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And Manoah and his wife looked on it, fell on their faces to the ground. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. So Manoah here and his wife, these were the parents of Samson. They'd been visited by an angel and they weren't sure about this. They didn't know whether this was an angel or not. So he says, let us detain you. Let's make a burnt offering to the Lord. And when he offers this burnt offering, this angel ascends up in the fire into heaven. Now this was the answer, and Manoah was certain after this that the angel of the Lord, that was an angel of the Lord, and that was God that was speaking to them. So here, as they fall on their face, no doubt in great fear, of what they've seen, of what they've witnessed, of the power of the fire, more than likely afraid that they would be devoured as well. They say the Lord's God. God's proved it. God's proved it, and beyond reasonable doubt, that's not even stout enough words to use. God has, without any question, proven that he is God and he's done it on the terms that the prophets of Baal accepted. They said this is a fair trial. <clears throat> we'll accept this trial. Well, God's answered. And it's not just here. In First Chronicles 21, you can read that David fell on his face before the Lord. Daniel fell on his face when the Lord appeared to him. John the apostle fell on his face when the Lord appeared to him. This is what happens once a man truly recognizes and is made aware of God. They'll do like the people did here. They'll do like Manoah did. They'll do as David. They'll do as John. They'll do as Daniel. They'll fall on their face in reverence and in fear before the Lord God of Israel. They'll fall on their face in repentance. They'll fall on their face uh, begging God for mercy. They'll declare God to be God when God is revealed to them. Isaiah, when he saw the Lord, he said, Woe is me. And there we'll find man when God reveals himself and his presence is so near. So the verdict of the people, the Lord is God, but now here's the amazing thing, and we're going to see this in a little while. Not everybody is turned by this. Now, how could that be? Well, in John chapter 11, verse 45, we've already looked at this chapter once, I think last time maybe. The Lord Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead who had been in the grave for four days. And this is what the Bible says after that miracle. Many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But... Some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. 
on over one chapter, chapter 12 of John, verse number 9. Much of the people, therefore, knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus to death, because that by reason of him many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Not everybody's convinced. Now how can that be? How can God do a work like this and not everybody be convinced? I think sometimes in service that a message can come through the man of God, that testimony can come through the church, and there's disappointment in people's hearts that so-and-so didn't answer, that so-and-so wasn't turned. Well, friends, Elijah has prayed, and God has sent fire that devoured a wet sacrifice, wet wood, stones, dust, and 12 barrels of water, and people are still not convinced. This is by the work and by the direction of God and God alone. It's nothing to be depressed about. The Lord Jesus is going to raise a man that's been dead for four days out of the grave. And there's going to be some that believe on him. And there's going to be others that go away and tattle. And then there's going to be those that want to put Lazarus to death because... Jesus raised him from the dead. It's amazing, ain't it? The hardness of man. Man won't believe except God calls him to believe. That's the God's truth. Jesus says of his disciples, ye have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. You know why they believed? Peter said, you're Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this unto thee, but my Father in heaven. You know why those twelve disciples believed, the eleven disciples believed, and the rest of the world seemed to not? Because God had revealed to them who Jesus was. Now, how could a man see the work that Elijah's done and not believe? Because their heart is hardened. Their neck is stiffened. And accept God, soften their heart, and open their ears, they will not hear. So in Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter number 4 and verse number 16, the Bible says this, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them, is manifest to all that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. So Peter and John have raised up the man that was sick of the palsy, the lame man, that was laid at the gate of the temple. By the power of God, he rises and walks, and he praises and celebrates and worships the Lord. And this man must have been well known in Jerusalem. The... Uh, the Sanhedrin court here gathered together and they say, what are we going to do about this? This is a notable miracle. Everybody knows it and we can't deny it. So why not believe? If these men have the power to work a work like this, why not believe? Because they're blinded by the devil 
by Satan and by the wicked one. Their heart is darkened and they're totally deceived and completely depraved and except God open their eyes, they will not hear. Though a notable miracle be done. What do they say? We don't want this to spread. Let's command them not to speak. Let's whip them. That's what they done. And if you remember, we looked in Exodus uh, a few studies ago, I guess, maybe three back, where the magician said, surely this is the finger of God. Pharaoh, this, we cannot copy this. This cannot be copied. This has to be the hand of God that's brought this upon us. And Pharaoh hardened his heart and did not believe. That's the way man is. Man is hardened to the gospel hardened to the truth, and though a notable miracle be done, yet they don't believe. Even when Jesus rose from the dead, they paid the guards to lie and say, well, while we were asleep, they come stole him away. The guards had a testimony that there was the power of God appeared and put us in a trance, but they paid them to lie. So you see, it's no wonder that man don't believe. Though you can have a wondrous service, there's going to be those that don't believe. Though the power of God pass by mightily, there will be those that don't believe. What must we do? We must labor. And friends, if anybody's going to believe, it's not going to be because I've put on a show It'll be because God has opened their eyes and opened their hearts. This is a little short today, maybe, shorter than what we've been trying to go, but I believe we're going to stop right there. Now, let's, let's just go ahead and get verse 40. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. So in Deuteronomy, now this sounds harsh, here's 450 prophets of Baal, and they're going to be slain down by the brook. Well, this is what's directed by the law. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse number 1, the Bible says, If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Then thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and ye shall serve him and cleave to him. And that prophet, or that dreamer of dreams, shall be put to death, because he hath spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt, and redeemed you out of the house of bondage, to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in, so shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. So God directed this, when a prophet was found to be a liar, when a prophet was found to be leading people away from God, God said, put them to death. 
Again, Deuteronomy 18, verse number 20. But the prophet, which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. So God directed in the law that if there's a prophet leading away from God, if there's found to be a prophet that's spreading lies and false doctrine, that prophet is to be put to death. And the reason for that is so that other people don't follow their lies and deceit to clear it out of the camp. So God says, put them to death. Remove them from the way that they be not a hindrance to you, to your family, and to the nation of Israel. Well, that's what Elijah's doing. He's fulfilling the law. Here's 450 men that had led away from God. They're going to be slain and removed out of the country that their lies and deceit might die with them. In Matthew 25, I believe we can see this in Matthew as well. Matthew 25, verse 41. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now that old deceiver, the devil, the wicked one, in Revelation 19, the beast and the false prophet, in Revelation 20, the devil that deceived them, these deceitful spirits and their angels. Now I realize this. I realize that things are taken a lot of times in a lot of different ways. But when you hear the devil and his angels, sometimes people picture demons and uh, uh, wicked creatures and other spirits and all of these things. But you know, the Lord has angels. We can look in Revelation chapter 1. We can see the churches. We can see the seven angels of the churches. And I believe what you see there is the preachers of the gospel. Well, you know that hell is prepared for the devil and those that spread his lies. God is going to remove in the final judgment the lies and deceit of the devil and those that have labored to spread it through their life. Here was men that were prophets of Baal and they had given their time, they had given their effort, they had given their labor to spread lies and turn people away from the word of God. There's plenty of men today that their labor is to turn people away from the gospel and from the truth of God. Well, know this. God's got a place prepared for the devil and his angels and those that follow the deceitfulness and the lies of the devil are going to be cast there with them. Everlasting fire into furnace of fire into hell. Hell is real. It is spoken of. And that's where Jesus says here, the devil and his angels and all those that follow him are going to wind up. In Revelation, you've got the beast and the false prophet. They're cast into the lake of fire. And then in chapter 20, you've got the devil that deceived them. He's cast into the lake of fire. What's going on? God's ridding the land of the deceit and the lies and the sin of the devil. He's clearing everything out that the truth might rule and reign. Well, that's what the Lord says to do for us. Throw the lies, throw the deceit, throw the wickedness out. Don't stand for it. Don't allow it to be spread. 
So he says, let not one of them escape. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. So 450 prophets of Baal died. But if you remember now, if you go back uh, to verse 19, Elijah speaking to Ahab, call the prophets of Baal 450 and the prophets of the groves 400. Well, they, the prophets of the groves and that's most likely Ashtaroth, a goddess of the Zidonians. Most likely um, eating at Jezebel's table. Now, they, they didn't show up. All we've got here are the 450 prophets of Baal. The 400 prophets of the groves are missing. Well, for Ahab himself, it would have been a great blessing that those 400 would have been there as well and they had got killed because we're going to get ahead of ourselves just a little but in 1 Kings 22 and verse number 6 now Ahab's going to go to battle and he's going to die here this is where Ahab dies so he seeks the Lord and I say that with air quotes he's seeking the Lord whether he should go to battle or not then the king gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said, Shall I go? This looks like the prophets of the groves that were missing. And those 400 men are going to say, Go on, you're going to have great victory. And he goes and he dies. So they lied. They deceived him. And it wound up with his death. That's why you rid the, the land of the false prophet. That's why you ought not allow a false prophet to lead people away from the Lord because it's going to wind up in their death. So Elijah has the prophets of Baal. They take them. They take them down to the brook Kishon and they slew them there, ridding the land of the prophets of Baal. That's where we'll stop today. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. Hope the Word of God's been a help to you. Hope you have a wonderful rest of the week. We love you and pray for us.